Previously on Hound Radio's Arch Campbell podcast. How wounded are the Oscars? So uh, uh, the Oscars, a.k.a. the Real Housewives of the Dolby Theater. Um, <laughs> I mean, it's, it, it has obviously, um, it has become uh, just sort of a, a reality show uh, now. And, and I think that that the problem with the Oscars now is that we've had a few years now where we've had unscripted surprises. The Arch Campbell podcast featuring Arch, Lou Katz, and a cast of thousands begins now. Well, there he is. That's that bad boy, Oliver Jones, explaining the Oscars to me. And now I think I understand what's going on. And that's why we love having Oliver Jones and Jason Fraley and so many people on this podcast. What a great day. Yeah, they're always so fun to work with. Well, welcome to the podcast that tries mightily to keep you up with the ever-changing world of entertainment. I'm Arch Campbell, Lou Katz, our enabler, producer, director, (laughs) and uh, head of all things. Yes, right. The worldwide headquarters of Katz Podcasting. That we are. Well, Lou, as you know, and as our fans know, every Halloween, I insist on checking in with my dear friend. Actually, no matter where I have been working, Channel 478, this podcast, I always have to check in with my longtime dear friend, Count Gordeval, and Count has climbed out of his box of dirt to be with this Count Gore. Welcome. Well, thank you very much, Arch. It's so good to see you again at this Halloween time of year when everyone's into ghosts, goblins, and grabbing way too much candy. <laughs> Do you eat Halloween candy, uh, Count Gore? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, part of Halloween that is so wonderful is for many years now, you have uh, come to the American Film Institute in Silver Spring to host a horror movie. And uh, you'll be doing that this year. What is the movie? Uh, this year, we're going to go back into the 80s we're with, with wide shoulders, funny hair, and we're going to do Nightmare on Elm Street, bringing back Freddy Krueger. <laughs> wow. And, you know, that was kind of a watershed movie. That was a new uh, franchise and a new idea of the creepy man in the school basement who gets into your dreams. And I also recall it was quite, uh, frankly, uh, sexy. Well, I say one <laughs> thing. It was cutting edge. Yeah. <laughs> who, who picks the movies? Well, for the AFI, this, this this is the greatest thing in the world for me because I get to pick them. I mean, it's like I go around and pick my favorite films, you know, and, I, and, and they go, well, if it's available, we'll show it. And sure enough, they do. And uh, in the past, you've had, um, well, I know you had Frankenstein one year. Yes, we, we've done we've done the classics. We've done Frankenstein, Bride. Uh, we've done uh, Dracula. Uh, uh-huh. Matter of fact, the first movie uh, I ever hosted there was our 40th anniversary of my first show, and that was House of Frankenstein. But then we've gone into the big bug movies. We've gone into uh, Earth versus the Flying Saucers, where we destroyed mm. Washington, one of my favorites. <laughs> 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 and of course, Young Frankenstein. 
Uh, uh, the screening you hosted of Young Frankenstein at the American Film Institute is the most outrageous, the most fun I have <laughs> ever had in a movie theater. The audience just went wild. I, and that, and that's, that's high praise from, from you. I mean, but it's true. I mean, the audience loves that film and the film holds up so well over all these years. But, but you know, what I was thinking too is uh, when I went to your screening of the original Frankenstein, the 1931 version, mm -hmm. I was really amazed at how well that held up. Yes, well, it's you know, it's a it's a classic classic mythology. You know, I mean, it's uh -huh. it's it's man turning into wanting to be a god, and uh, you know, uh, although I have to admit, the more I think about, and I I I I'll, I'll admit that I've never really read uh, Shelley's work. Yeah, so I, 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 don't the, I don't know the motivation behind the doctor, but I know he he has his god complex, even more so Pretorius and Bride, when you know, when he toasts to God the gods and mm -hmm. monsters mm -hmm. and all the rest of this good stuff. But, but, you know, I just don't understand one thing about the Frankenstein legend. Okay, so and that is, he has the secret of life, but he does, goes about it the hard way. He goes around finding bits and pieces, sews them together, and comes up with this uh -huh. ragtag thing. Why does he just take someone, so a really a great person, a great body, a beautiful woman, and just bring him back to life? I mean, <laughs> oh. <laughs> well, actually, they tried that in what the Reanimator. Well, yeah, you know? and it was a good movie. <laughs> <laughs> the Reanimator was pretty good. Why do we respond to horror movies the way we do? Well, you know, I've always related it to the the roller coaster phenomenon. People, uh -huh. why do people go on scary rides? They like the adrenaline rush. And here, you're in a movie theater. You're in the dark but you know you're safe. You know no one's going to come and get you, but you can watch these hideous things on the screen and vicariously get your thrills. So I think that that's the whole thing. Well, I want to mention very quickly that uh, the tickets are 15 bucks and you're going to be there Saturday night, October 29th. Yep, and there's Saturday still tickets available. And, it's and those screenings really are some of the high points of my movie uh, going time. And, well, thank you, uh, I, thank you. I just love them. Now, your character or your persona, you as Count Gore, yeah. uh, go back to 1973. Are you about to have your 50th anniversary? Yes, as a matter of fact, I can, I can honestly, I can, I can tell you right now, I'll get your, mm -hmm. give your audience a heads up, February 4th. At the AFI, we'll be celebrating our 50th anniversary of the first show on WDCA. So, yes. Oh, wow. And, and I understand I have been invited. You have been invited <laughs> in spite of everything. You <laughs> Yes, no. My, my, my longtime friend, I, can't, I had to have you there. And, and um, it's going to be an anniversary year. We're going to do uh, a lot of stuff in 2023 because it's 50th anniversary of the web of the uh, my first show on Channel 20. It's the 25th anniversary of my first web program at CountGore.com. And it's the fifth anniversary of my Roku channel, Count Gore Developed Presents. All wrapped oh, up wow. in one, one thing. And we're just hoping there's no pandemic. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, you know, uh, this does bring up, uh, what, what do you think is the secret of your success? 
Well, you know, I've thought about that a lot. And I, I, I wish I knew what it was. I'd package it and I'd be a, a billionaire by now. But uh, <laughs> it's, it's, yeah, I mean, look, really, it's, it, it, it's dumb luck. It's being at the right place at the right time. But I think mostly it's having really good, loyal fans who keep supporting you over the years. I mean, we have people who come out. Now, we have people who have brought their kids and their grandkids. And, you know, it's like they just and, and you know, you, you come to one of my screens, everyone's wearing my T-shirt. You know, it's, it's great. You know, it's and it's, it's it just. It, yeah, it's the fans. I I sort of think of it as your you, the original show creature feature yes. with Count Gore Duvall is an example of of the golden age of local television when oh, yeah. television stations were like little theater companies and a yeah. guy you know you would be walking down the hall and the manager says hey you I want you to play uh, a Count Dracula figure and introduce these terrible horror movies we've got, these old movies we bought the package of. And, uh, and the crew and you, you could, you could feel the, uh, the laughter as you sat at home. And there was, there was kind of an intimacy to the whole thing that, yeah. that I think is missing from television today. Well. You know, television's got much more professional, but you're right. You know, my, my crew was actually like the secondary character on the show. Uh -huh. I mean, yeah. I mean, and they, they would give me ideas and I would feed, I would, they would feed me ideas and I'd play off of them. Uh, a lot of times I'd play off my director. I never knew which camera was going on. The, 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 the floor director would point me to one camera and the other camera had the light on. Uh -huh. I didn't know what was yeah. going on. So, yeah, it you was like, I just, matter of fact, I just left. got a phone call yesterday from Lee Payton, who was Captain Audio. He was my audio guy, and you never knew what he would throw at you, just from an audio standpoint. It was, it was incredible, it was fun. It was, uh, yeah, it's a lost art. Uh, have you watched this guy, Shvingali? Yes, fan, Rich Cause and Don, on MeTV. Uh, friend of mine, actually. Uh, uh -huh. we, had, uh, we had lunch together last year after, uh, as a COVID kind of re retracted. Uh, nice, really nice guy, very talented, and again, Again, he was very lucky to be in the right place at the right time. Uh, he was working at the station uh, in Chicago, and uh, he was doing okay. And they, but it was, he was not getting the recognition he deserved. And suddenly, the parent company put on Me TV, and they went, "Hey, we want you to host movies." And now he's the biggest thing on horror television. I mean, it's now I'm going to say something that may be kind of uh, over the line, but. Uh, it's too produced for me. It doesn't have the, uh, you know, the the fizz that uh, that your shows have. So I'm I'm a Count Gore fan. I appreciate that, <laughs> and I, I I understand what you're saying. Uh, it, it it it's a different era. It's a different uh, different way of doing things. Yeah. So now this leads us to the normal, the, the question that I'm sure you hate hearing, but I'll ask it anyway. Sure. What is ahead. your favorite, <laughs> what is your favorite horror movie? And I am going to shock you and give you a different answer. In the past, <laughs> I would say I wouldn't answer that because I don't differentiate between horror and science fiction. For all practical purposes, Frankenstein could be a science fiction movie with all the right, gadgets yeah, and gizmos yeah. and lightning and so forth. But Having just recently hosted uh, The Exorcist, I would have to say currently my favorite all-time horror movie is The Exorcist. Great. 
And I remember watching The Exorcist and uh, being unable to sleep. Oh, yeah. For uh, days afterwards, that was that was something. And it and, holds uh, up well. I mean, the only thing that gives it away as far as its age is a little bit of the fashions, but mostly the fact that they, all the telephones had cords. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe did she dial uh, for the police? Yes. <laughs> So uh, what are you watching these days? What, what do you like to watch when, uh, when the count uh, settles down? Uh, I guess you're, you're limited to what's, what's on between dawn and dusk. Well, you're, you're going to be shocked at this. Dusk I and dawn. Hooked. I am hooked on a streaming show that has nothing to do with horror, but it is so bizarre. It is like... Uh, it's like it was produced by with everyone on LSD. Uh, it's called. <laughs> <laughs> think about this. It's uh -huh. called the Good Fight. Oh, and it's a and and you right from the beginning they blow up uh -huh. everything on the credits. Yeah, and 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 then they get into this thing and there are people. I mean, this past week, some guy falls off the roof of the building and impales himself on a statue outside the 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 star's office and you got blood splattered all over the place. If this isn't horror, I don't know why. <laughs> I've uh, started watching The Watcher on Netflix. Have you okay. watched that, the Haunted House uh, movie? I have not Haunted seen Haunted House it. series. It's kind of tongue-in-cheek. It, it doesn't frighten me. It's, you know, it's such an old, oh, the house is haunted. Oh, someone's watching. I mean, it's... It's uh, and and they play it so over the top that uh, that it's just, it's a fun watch, not a scary watch. We moved out here because we wanted to feel safe, and the opposite's happening. Never felt more unsafe in my life. When when I have when I have the opportunity, of course, they're between seasons right now. I, I would probably say it'd be evil again. I think that's on Paramount Plus. Which is mm -hmm. which? Where the good fight is, but evil, evil. I love evil. Oh my gosh! You got again. You got the, got the priest. Got the exorcism. You got this, <laughs> this sexy psychiatrist. Uh, yeah, I mean it's awesome. I love it. <laughs> so let's see. Anything else? What do you think of the current crop of horror films? Uh, particularly, uh, my God, won't they let Michael Myers die? What, you know, <laughs> would they just leave the guy? You know, finally. Leave him alone. And Jamie Lee Curtis, please give that woman some peace. Well, you know, evidently they've got a new one coming out called Halloween, the end. <laughs> and, and evidently they're doing another Nightmare of Elm Street, the end. So uh, they're finally coming to the point where they're going, maybe we ought to just do the end. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm not, I'm not much into remakes and, and reboots and, and, and sequels. Uh, most of them, I think, are... are Excuse the term, colloquial term, crap. <laughs> uh, but uh, you know, I I like some of the some of the new directors. Some of the, some of the some of the new uh, the new films are are very good. Some of them are 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 not so good. I have to admit, I just heard that a movie that my alter ego Dick Dizel was in called The Alien Factor. Oh, which was uh, Don Dola's first film back in the 70s has been inducted into the B-movie Hall of Fame. Oh. 
Speaking of B-movies, we may as well plug the documentary about you. Every night is Halloween. And actually, you know what? I'm glad you mentioned it because there is a new version coming out. It's it's a Blu-ray. Oh. They're going to have the oh. original every other day. Uh, C.W. Prather, the, the director and writer, uh, has we've produced a 30-minute mini-doc following up. That movie was released in 09. Now this covers 09 through 20. 2001 or 2021 uh it, it includes a uh a doc on uh, with dr sarcophagi called bald-headed blues and plus uh, just a plethora of more material so much that they had to put it on blu-ray it's supposed oh, wow. to be coming out for halloween we're waiting on delivery right now ah well well meantime uh let's plug uh, you at the afi yes and, uh, please let me let, let what should, should should i do the plug or would you like no, actually, let me, let me because there are people who are going, oh, it's just another movie, but it's more than that. It, we, uh-huh. we do have a formula that has worked really well. We start off with about 10 minutes of clips from, from my various shows, which are always <laughs> a lot of fun. Uh, we, then, we then do a, a, an opening uh, introduction and monologue or whatever you want to call it. Um, and uh, then we go into an audience participation thing. And this is we're going to do a, a Halloween party game where someone's going to win some not so good prizes <laughs> and then we'll show the movie <laughs> $15 yes cheap at any price right. yes and that this is what Saturday night October Saturday 29th night. and how long have you been doing these AFI shows now well actually believe it or not this is the we're finishing up the ninth year we do uh-huh. three three a year well we took some time off with COVID yeah. Uh, because the theater was closed, but uh, and again next year will be the tenth anniversary when we begin the February fourth. So, and I'm hoping I can't tell you what the movie is because we're still waiting to get confirmation. But it's going to be one of the biggies. Oh wow! Well, I can't. Well, count. Uh, you know, you and I have a long friendship that goes back uh, forty nine years. Yes, that's when I locked years. you in my coffin. <laughs> Actually, I met you in 1975, and you locked me in your coffin on yes. the set of uh, Creature Feature, and uh, and I've been locked in there ever since as, uh, <laughs> as a fan and friend of yours. Thank you. And, I appreciate uh, it. I suppose I can mention that some people know you during the day as Dick Dizel. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, we don't want to talk about him too much. <laughs> <laughs> like, like the Clark Kent of vampires. Yes, he takes his but, glasses off and he thinks he's a vampire. What can you say? <laughs> so let me give you a break and thank you for your time. Ladies and gentlemen, here he is, the one, the only, Count Gordeball. May all your blood be warm and your Halloween be spookily good. Dick Dizel. Coming up, I'm going to talk to a writer named Julian David Stone, who's come out with a new book titled It's Alive. It's Alive! Have you heard of this? It's the story behind the story of the making of the original Frankenstein. Mm. And it's kind of interesting on our Halloween show. Right now, let's take a break. For Hound Radio. And speaking of Halloween. For Halloween, Hound Radio is channeling our inner wolf. I got a popcorn ball. I got a fetch ball. I got a pack of gum. I got a rock. And you. 
be getting the sweetest treat of all. Your favorite hound Halloween hits all Halloween long. Happy Halloween! From the scariest station on the internet, Hound Radio. L.A.-based writer Julian David Stone spends a delightful story of the struggle to give a green light to the making of the 1931 classic Frankenstein in It's Alive, which is one of the great book titles of the year. And uh, I'm very happy to welcome Julian David Stone to the podcast. Thanks, Julian, for being here. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me on. And uh, I love that you picked out uh, probably the greatest sentence of dialogue in uh in movie history it's alive it's alive it's alive it's alive yeah absolutely in fact i was just having this conversation the other day with somebody that i think it's the oldest line from a film that you can quote that Mm -hmm. people will know what it is i think people know what it is who haven't even seen frankenstein they know oh yeah that's from that frankenstein movie I told you when we uh, communicated to set this up that uh, a few years ago, I went to a screening of the original Frankenstein hosted by a a good friend, Count Gore Duvall, who (laughs) uh, hosts horror films at the American Film Institute at Silver Spring. And I was amazed at how well the original 1931 version held up. It's a fantastic film. you know, wh- when you see it, you realize why it's still famous to this day. And, you know, you I think you also mentioned this Carlos performance mm-hmm. is, is really what the reason that we're still talking about this film 90 years later. And speaking of that, uh, one of the what if in your story is that the filmmakers really wanted Bella Lugosi to play the monster. Yeah, no, that that's, you know, my, my book is historical fiction, but it's all based on uh-huh. fact. And that is the truth. Bela Lugosi had become a star from having done Dracula mm-hmm. at Universal when they were going to make their next film. They wanted to keep sort of cultivating him as a as a major star. And so they were going to have Bela Lugosi be the monster in Frankenstein. And then there was a lot of back and forth. And there's actually a lot of different versions of the story, whether it was Lugosi who decided he didn't want to do it, whether it was the studio. It was really a combination of all of them. And ultimately, thankfully for all of us, they ended up with Boris Karloff, who is just remarkable in the role. You know, when I remember that night of watching Frankenstein, the scene I really remember and recall is uh, Frankenstein, the monster, uh, reacting to light, Mm -hmm. which is a, a beautiful piece of really silent acting. It's it's a stunning moment. It's one of the first things when you meet uh the the monster he's looking up and he sees sun he sees light for the first time and he just reaches up for it it's it's almost a religious moment uh-huh. you know sort of looking to the heavens trying to understand who he is and what he is it's it's a very powerful moment and it really resonates so your story centers on the limley family and uh young carl limley jr and his uh his desire to take over and move uh, Universal Studios into the future. Uh, how did you? How did you decide to hang uh, this tale on that that father son dynamic? Well, when I I first you know I I watched these films first as a kid a long time ago and then yeah, sort of yeah. drifted away from them and then uh, 
saw them again as an adult uh, about 20 years ago. When I saw them as an adult, I, I found something very different in them and very powerful. And I started researching them and wanting to learn more about them. And when I, I, I sort of thought, okay, there's something here I want to write. And I couldn't quite figure out what exactly it was. But when I finally discovered that the person who was running Universal at the time and who really fought to make these films was 23 years old mm -hmm. and running a studio, I said, okay, that's a great jumping off point. That's an amazing <laughs> right there. And then you, you sort of mentioned it, you know, one of the, you know, as a writer, you're always looking for interesting parallels and stuff. Um, and you're right that uh, Carl Lemley Jr., his father, Carl Lemley Sr., had created the studio and now Junior was running it. So they had a tension there and it was a fascinating relationship. Well, what what is Frankenstein also? It's ultimately a father-son story. It's a creator <laughs> who's disappointed with his creation. That's uh -huh. a basic father-son story. So when I when I saw that parallel, I had to run with that and that that becomes a big part of the story. And I suppose we should mention the Limley family looms large out uh, in L.A. Is there still a, a Limley Theater? Yeah, the, the Lemley Theaters were, it, it is definitely the same family, but that started a little bit after the Lemleys were no longer running Universal and it was sort of cousins, but it is related. It was, it was some uh, younger Lemleys that were brought over by Carl Sr. Uh, Carl Lemley Sr. was very active uh in the 30s with getting as many of his family members and anybody he could out of germany for obvious reasons and some of them came and started the lemley theaters plus when universal when he was running universal and it was in its prime in the 20s and the 30s they hired a lot of family members to to work there it was a, a common joke at the time about how many lemleys were were on the payroll there um and that's the 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 ones that were brought over started the theater chain well, that name uh, is on the same level with like uh, the Warner Brothers and, uh, you know, the five families. <laughs> oh, right. no, wrong, wrong reference, but right. same idea. Yeah, no, it, it, the, the Lemleys are fascinating to me. Carl Sr. is an amazing man because he had such a genteel, you know, everybody thought, called him Uncle Carl, and he seemed like this sweet guy, and I'm sure he was, but boy, he fought some tough battles. That You know, he was there at the beginning of the film business. He entered the film business in 1906, and within a period of nine years, you know, this he started on the East Coast. He's out here with this huge building Universal Studios. I mean, he was, he was quite a visionary. Um, I take your story to be creative nonfiction. I want to believe a lot of these things happen, but I think you also had some fun with the father-son dynamic and the how are we going to cast this? Can I make it or not? And uh, and uh, you know, I, I hope I hope you will accept this as a compliment. Your book <laughs> reads like a Coen Brothers film script. Oh. Well, I was certainly thinking. I, I I think that they're amazing. I could see I could see this as a movie. Can you? Well, that 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 is my background, so I, I think uh -huh. that comes through, and that's certainly something yeah. I, would, I yeah. would be delighted with. Um, you know, I it's it's a work of historical fiction. It's based as much as possible on the truth. There's obviously creative embellishments for some scenes that there's no record of. But to give you an example of how I tried to stay and did stay as close to the truth as possible. <laughs> If you notice throughout the book, there's quotes from newspapers and different things. Those are all real. I didn't make any of those up. They show you how the back and forth that was going on right up until the beginning of production about who was going to play the role of the monster. That was completely real. 
and as you can see in those different quotes, and the first mention ever of Boris Karloff as being part of Frankenstein comes out the day that the film starts shooting. So that's how, how much up to the last minute his casting was. Uh, I once interviewed a historian who said, you know, if it didn't happen, it should have happened and could have happened. <laughs> there, you, there you go. <laughs> that's great. There's so many pieces of Frankenstein uh, that that are of interest. Uh, one is the director, James Whale, uh, and uh, what was the movie, Gods and Monsters, uh, that uh, he had a, a, a wonderful career and then sort of a sad uh, finale. Yeah, you know, that's unfortunately a, a big part of the film business. You know, even even the greatest artists tend to have a relatively short period of you know where you're sort of at your prime and you're getting your most work and then you kind of get aged out and unfortunately that seems to have yeah. to to James Whale it's unfortunately not an uncommon story I you know I, as someone who has started in the film business and has gotten older working in the film business I I I I, I I'm less against it to be honest as I've as I've watched it sort of happened to myself I mean I I'm in my fifties and the notion that I could write a story about what it's like to be in your 20s today to date you know yeah. i haven't had a date in 20 years because i've been married so <laughs> I, I i you know i have such a different perspective on it now it's like i don't know what it's like to date in the age of these you know smartphones yeah. it's such a different world and so and, and but anyway going back to what you were saying uh you know that's kind of ultimately what happened to james whale he got older the work wasn't there and yeah unfortunately he he didn't get the respect in his lifetime that he deserved and the Lugosi and Karloff dynamic uh, is very interesting. Uh, I suppose you've seen The Black Cat, their first oh, yeah. movie together. Yeah, <laughs> some of those early movies, <laughs> some of those early films would not be greenlit today. I don't no. think. <laughs> they're, they're, they're terrific. I mean, Universal, again, you know, had originally thought they would build Lugosi up as a big star. Then it became Karloff when he exploded after Frankenstein. Uh -huh. But they saw an opportunity and they put Lugosi and Karloff together and did a bunch of just wonderful films in the 30s. And altogether, I think they did nine movies together over the years. I'm like you. I discovered movies, film, uh, as a kid in the late 50s when Universal put together a package of these classic films and sold it to television stations who uh, packaged them as, uh, I think, Shock Theater was uh, the first package. And uh, people in television stations, the booth announcer would put on a cape and, <laughs> and a hat and introduce these things. And, uh, and th these are the movies that made me love the movie. Yeah, there there was a big renaissance when they were put on television in the 50s and in the 60s, uh, or actually, yeah, I think it was the 60s and the 70s mm -hmm. when they were sort of brought back. And they were also inexplicably, in my mind, too, connected to the Aurora model kits. I don't know if you built those as a kid, but the figure kids, it kind of was all <laughs> part of a, a puzzle sitting in the building as we were watching the movies. That was me. Uh, reading your story about young Limley, <laughs> which... Which is my reference to young Frankenstein <laughs> gives me uh, again the impression that almost every great movie uh, that we love is a series of wonderful accidents 
and arguments and uh, and things falling into place uh, just by happenstance. Is that your? Yeah, I have to say that, you know, movies are kind of controlled chaos, certainly making a film. <laughs> and there's a lot of accidents and, you know, you, you, it's film history is filled with things that when you see the film, you think it's intentional. And then you find out, well, that wasn't supposed to be that way. <laughs> they didn't mean for that. Yeah, you know, the, the script is just a, a blueprint and it doesn't end up. This isn't quite an accident, but a great example. We, we started talking about the line, it's alive. And uh -huh. in, the original, in the original script of Frankenstein, in that scene, it's only written twice for him to say it's alive. When you watch the <laughs> film, he says it seven times. <laughs> that's, that's, it's a great moment of, a, you know, Colin Clive is incredible. And you know, there's an example of someone who went beyond what they were intended to do. And, and he just went with it as an actor. And it's just tremendous. And, and what's your thinking on young Frankenstein? Oh, I, I love it. I absolutely. Uh, I'll tell you a funny thing just related to that. Um, you know, so much when you think of Dr. Frankenstein or a mad scientist, you think of the goggles, you know, like with the thing. Yeah, that right. That's not in any of the Frankenstein movies, but you know what it's <laughs> in? It's in Young Frankenstein. <laughs> when he has his creation scene, he puts those goggles on. It's uh -huh. not in any of the Frankenstein movies. And and I love the bit in Young Frankenstein when uh, is it you know uh, the the creator uh, uh, does the It's Alive uh, series and uh, is it Igor or the monster who just looks like wow <laughs> <laughs> just like ooh what was that <laughs> uh, it's, it's a great movie and some of that equipment you know, for the creation scene is from the original Frankenstein. Movie. Yeah, the, the Universal kept the set around for years, didn't they? Well, well, apparently the story that Mel Brooks tells is that he tracked down Ken, it's Kenneth Strickland, Strick, Strickfadden, who had built the original stuff and said, hey, do you by any chance have any of the blueprints or anything we can reconstruct this? Uh -huh. And he said, uh, well, I actually have the original stuff in my garage. <laughs> So, so they were able to bring some of it back in. So uh, it had been, you know, over the years it had been sort of refurbished and stuff, but it, the base of it was the same equipment that was in the original Frankenstein. Well, uh, I suppose the question is, uh, why does Frankenstein pass the test of time and why are we so interested in how it came to be? I, I think it's the, it, it's, the empathy towards the character that has made it last that if it was just a simple film where here's a bad thing and we're going to hunt it down and kill it, it would have been lumped in with a zillion other films and forgotten. That's one of the reasons that we still care about it today because it's so unusual. And I think it's Karloff's performance. The makeup mm -hmm. is incredible, but what the performance that he gives as an actor, I've watched a lot of Boris Karloff over the years and you do not see him in there. It is just a complete transformation. He, he, He's just remarkable in the role. It's hard to imagine, you know, Lugosi did play the monster a couple of movies later in the universe yeah. cycle, and it's hard to imagine it starting with his performance. He was good, and, and he has a real moment as uh, Igor in the in Son of Frankenstein, but it, it it's Karloff that is really the reason that the film is still thought of today. And uh, Karloff versus Lugosi, really Karloff uh, was the one who had the longer... Uh more rewarding career one of the reasons that i wanted to write this story about the making of of frankenstein was that all three of these characters bella lugosi boris karloff and junior lemley 
their lives are inexplicably changed by this film. <laughs> uh, going into it, Lugosi is a big star, and he doesn't end up being in Frankenstein, and he'll never be as he he's never as big again after that. His he had some he had a good run in the 30s, but his his star started to wane. Karloff, on the other hand, just goes from complete obscurity to overnight being a huge yeah. star and never stopped being one for the rest of his life. And and Junior obviously, you know, uh continues to run the studio for another five years and he launches the universal cycle really with this second film, Frankenstein. Well, uh, Lou and I, it's really great for us to have uh, you, a, uh, a well-regarded writer, screenwriter, and uh, film historian on our podcast. And uh, it's alive. Wonderful timing on your part <laughs> for Halloween. I guess it's in bookstores everywhere, and we can go to Amazon. And uh, when I have people on the podcast, I like to ask them, uh, what are you watching these days? What are you watching just for fun? Sure. Um, something that, in fact, the last, I believe the last episode of the first season just was on last night. There's a series on Hulu called Reboot that I've been enjoying oh. quite a bit. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I want to reboot the old sitcom Step Right Up. Step Right Up. <laughs> Step Right Are you serious? And I want to do it with the original cast. Yeah, it's about a reboot of a TV series. And it's one of those ideas that when you hear it, it's like, oh, why didn't I think of that? <laughs> it's an obvious idea, but it's it's the team that did Modern Family, which I thought was uh -huh. a, one of the best sitcom type of things in the last 20, 30 years. And it's just, it's about the reboot of a TV series from 20 years ago that, and it's, you know, how all the actors have changed who they are and the and sensibilities have changed, uh -huh. you know. It, they're, you know, I, I love stuff, obviously, about the entertainment business, and they have a really one of the moments that I loved in it. It's a minor spoiler, but I don't think it'll upset people too much. Just they're they're relaunching the show, and they have all these young writers who, you know, for lack of a better word, are very woke, and they're not they're not quite getting the humor that they want. So the next day, they bring in all these crusty old writers. <laughs> Suddenly, they're all writers they're trying to get along, and it's hysterical because you know. The, 70s writers, you know, are are dirty and all this stuff. It was very, very fun. Like I, I and then that, that's just a small part of it, but that's one of the things that I loved, and it's such it's such a great idea. So, uh, how are you going to follow this? What's your next uh, idea? What's your next uh, I'm, project? I'm about halfway through a novel that has to do with the uh, the space race in the 1960s. I'm a big fan oh, of cool. the program, so uh, that's what I'm trying to. Very, still very much caught up in doing the promotion for this book, and, and it's going well. But once I get some time, I'm going to plow in and try to get that one finished. And then you had a parallel career. You were a rock and roll photographer. <laughs> yeah, that, that goes back a few years. That was when, when I was younger. I started out in the 80s for a number of years. First, I started by sneaking my equipment into shows, and then I eventually turned pro. And uh, yeah, I shot hundreds of concerts. I have a book out called No Cameras Allowed, because like I said, it's it's mostly my work that when I was smuggling the equipment in by hiding it on my body, and I had all these crazy <laughs> getting chased by roadies and security and all that, so that that was another thing of my past, and that's been great, because uh, I, I had that whole career and kind of sealed it up for a number of uh -huh. years. Through a series of different things, the idea for this book came, and the book has been out for a while and doing quite well. 
So, well, uh, Julian David Stone, it's great to have you uh, with us. I suppose your weekend recommendation is the reboot on Hulu. Yes. And I, I settle would... in with your book. Yes, settle in with, with my book, It's Alive, and watch a couple of great horror films this weekend. It's the season. You know, they're they're all over TV, and I'm going to a screening of Frankenstein over the weekend oh. <laughs> here in Los Angeles with a, with a new score written for it, so I'm looking forward to that. I, I'm going to recommend the original Frankenstein, yeah. and uh, Turner Classics is bringing it down, and I think uh, you can catch it all the time on Peacock. Peacock's got all those films now. Yeah. So, uh, well, uh, Julian, best wishes to you. Uh, maybe we'll call you up again. You can tell us what's, uh, you can be our L.A. correspondent. <laughs> Anytime. I would love to do it. I, I can tell you plenty. <laughs> <laughs> like that. Okay, well, that's our Halloween special for this week. And folks, uh, uh, Lou, I think, Let's come back next week and uh, we'll get uh, Oliver Jones and uh, Jason Fraley to catch us up because movie season is starting to percolate now. And uh, you got a movie out there you're excited about, uh, Julian? Let's see if there's a film I'm excited to see. Uh, well, I have an eight-year-old son, so it tends to be geared around a lot of the latest. <laughs> I, I never thought I'd be so tracking the latest animated features. <laughs> Uh, I just saw Tur. Oh, how was kind that? Of, yeah. yeah, well, it's it's sort of a career horror film. Oh. It, uh, it, I was. Uh, it's not what I expected, but I I was sort. Of, I was very moved by it. That that uh, yeah that I the the Kate Blanchett. Yeah. Oh, that's one I've I've heard some pretty interesting things about. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, anyway, thanks for being there and thank you uh, for listening and we'll see you soon. This is the Cats Podcasting System, where it's not just a podcast, but a podcast.